Live in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Good morning. Have you missed us? Five in the Eyes took a long, well, a bit of a break over the Christmas and New Year period. But now we're back and ready to take on 2024. And what better way to do that with the prime number edition of your favourite news show? Episode 0443, a prime number. Don't you just love it? I'm Michael Ohajuru, and you're listening to Colourful Radio. And joining Michael via Zoom, it's Phil Woodford, revealing that our top story this week is going to be the scandal at the post office, which saw terrible miscarriages of justice for those using the faulty Horizon IT system. The government has acted this week, but why has it taken so long? Five in the eye. Our second story is from The Telegraph, and it features a discussion of so-called junk history. My own project, the Black Tudor trumpeter, John Blank, gets a positive mention in the article by parliamentary sketchwriter Madeleine Grant, but are we in danger of misrepresenting the past to our children? For our third story, we're looking at the so-called Robocop, who will be patrolling the supermarket aisles at Morrison's. And for story number four, it's the Alaska Airlines flight, where part of the fuselage blew out. Someone lost their iPhone in the incident, but it was found on the ground in working condition. And how are we wrapping up the show this week? Well, if you need any help tidying up your house, there's a Welsh mouse who might be able to assist. He's leaving a man's work surface squeaky clean. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. We're going to kick off this week with the story um, about the post office, which has really exploded because of a a drama on ITV, which um, brought to life the terrible miscarriage of justice affecting several hundred uh, sub postmasters and, and mistresses and uh, it's hard to uh, I, I guess for anyone to have escaped this news story it's been very very big but a summary of it would be that uh, in the 1990s the post office commissioned Fujitsu the uh, the, the Japanese owned um, uh, technology business to create um, a, 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 a platform that could be used by all the uh, the post offices where they would record all their their accounts. This was called Horizon. Uh, there were problems noted with Horizon right from the very beginning. Um, but uh, before long, um, the post office was accusing uh, these uh, postmasters and mistresses of effectively stealing money because their accounts didn't add up. They couldn't understand it because uh, they knew they'd done nothing wrong. Um, It was the system that was to blame. And we've been in a cycle of um, persecution and cover-up ever since, uh, to to, to be honest. And um, now this week, the government has taken an extraordinary step because what they've said is they're going to pass a law which is effectively going to exonerate the remaining uh, postmasters who haven't yet had a chance to go to court to clear their names. Um, And this was taking forever. And one of the reasons taken forever is that the post office was actually involved in in that process and being even now, as far as I can tell, obstructive to it. So it's taking a very, very long time. The court system is very clogged up. 
And this is a way of wiping the slate clean and the government interfering in the kind of judicial process, but with a good motive, Michael, because they're saying, well, this is the quickest way of clearing the names of the of the people who were the victims of this miscarriage. What do you make of the government's action? It's too little, too late. And, you know, but but the right thing has been done this week, Michael. No, no, no. It's hard to know where to begin with this story. Let me just pick what you just said. The government are going to give them all, uh, they're going to excuse them all. They're going to forgive them all. And they seem to be doing the right thing. But where were they 20 years ago? This is not a new story, Phil. I would do as a podcast, a nine series podcast, a nine, a nine episode podcast in the BBC. It was, it's been reported continuously in Computer Weekly and in private. The government knows this. What's made the difference now was that powerful, powerful uh, drama on ITV, ITVX free to air TV. And it made it real visually. We saw images. We saw the people being affected. And that's, that, that, that's the problem with this story from the very start. There was no real images. There was no picture. It was only, there was only words and ideas. But when you saw those pictures of that woman in her desperation, that wonderful postmistress, you know, a you know, a pillar of the community, you know, making cakes for the for a shop, you know, you know, looking after the pensioners, and there she was desperate to get service, and she saw that the figures had doubled her debt, had doubled, or she tried to make changes, and she was told it'll be all right, it'll work, work itself, work itself out, and Phil, they said the biggest life from the very start, you are the only one. Th that was outrageous, you, wasn't it? You were Absolutely the only outrageous one. That because was just come on, man. That, that, that was just you know because because it made people think that um, maybe they'd done something inadvertent themselves, that they'd misused the system somehow or whatever. I mean, they knew they weren't guilty of they knew they weren't guilty of fraud. But if they had known that actually this was happening to hundreds and hundreds of other people at an earlier stage, um, and they'd been able to make that connection, um, they they might have been able to seek justice much, much quicker. But this was a deliberate policy, wasn't it, of telling people that it was down to them. They they were unusual. They were un they were unique. I mean, we also had the spectacle of one of the investigators um, going before the inquiry into this because it, going on in parallel to this drama is the actual uh, public inquiry, and and one of the inspectors who um, was defending his role in these investigations, but um, the critics were saying they were incredibly heavy-handed. Um, that that you know some of the language used when when they were going investigating was completely inappropriate and. Um, it seems to me that these people have been through hell and they deserve some real compensation for this. Real compensation? They've not fit real compensation, right? They deserve a lot, a lot more than what this government is offering. Just, okay, I threw away figures, Phil. There have been offered a, a preliminary £75,000 one off. Yet the, the chairman of the, you know, the CEO of the, the post office, was paid eighty five thousand pound a week, mm, mm, a mm. week. Yeah, yeah. For years, and yet they're giving them this. This people lost their people lost their homes. They lost people lost their homes. They lost their livelihoods. In some cases, people took their own lives. It's just uh, 
it, it, it's it is difficult to think, isn't it? I mean, it's a scandal on on an almost unprecedented. Scandal. I mean, we've we, we've we've had some terrible scandals. You know, the the blood, uh, the the tainted blood scandal. We've had the Windrush scandal. These are all awful things. But this is kind of almost on a uh, unimaginable scale, and um, it really. Uh, it, it really set people talking. I'm just want to come back to that question about the drama, Michael, and how that you know because I you know I knew about this. I, I knew about this scandal, and uh, I'd read about it a number of times. And I remember thinking it was awful, but it was not something that was at front of mind, was it? It was something that was chugging along in the background, and only people who were intimately involved with it were kind of raising it regularly. Um, but then, then a TV drama comes along. Initially, it didn't get huge viewing figures, but people started talking about it on social media, and they started talking about what they'd seen and expressing their outrage. And suddenly, there's a, it's created a, a huge head of steam and pressure on the government. It shows the power of culture, doesn't it, to influence uh, to influence politics. I would say the power of culture, I think there's two things at play here, Phil. The power of the image. The image of that of Joe, Joe, the the the, the postmistress, desperately trying to get the figures sorted out in tears on online to the help service, and then she sees as she's doing it real time, her debt doubles, and you got that blinking horizon machine, that sinister blinking horizon just working away in the background, and so she's been told, oh, it'll be all right. And for me, what was so wonderful about that film, I think it united us as a nation. And that something that made us Brit that made makes us British, that sense of decency, sense of fair play. Mm -hmm. Something has gone wrong here. Okay, it's take a deep, deep, dreadful, dreadful thing to bring us together, but it's clearly there. And for me, my biggest takeaway is how systemic, and I'm going to use the C word here, Phil. Sorry for this. I'm going to use the C word. Corruption. There is mm -hmm. not just with the government. Not just with uh, the post office, not just with Fujitsu, but collectively, there's a merry-go-round. You've got, and oh, you've got to mention the law, the legal department, the lawyers. What was it? The lawyers were paid 150 million, and they gave 100 million pound in compensation. There's, a, there's systemically, the system is wrong. It's corrupt. You've got a merry-go-round. You've got a minister. A minister who was minister of the post office, not going to name any names, but he left that post office and he went to work as a consultant for one of the, the, the lawyers who were attacking, who were prosecuting the ministers, the, the, the post officers, the postmistresses and postmasters. You've got, you've got the CEO of, of, one, of Fujitsu, um, CEO of Fujitsu. His wife was a, was a Tory party minister. That, that same man is now in the government office. He's advising the government. On procurement, there's a merry-go-round here of the great and good. When you get up there, you're around, and they protect each other. The system is systemically corrupt. We look, you know, we look at this, uh, the um, the um, purchases for uh, the PPE scandal. It's the same thing. There's a merry-go-round of corruption, Phil. There is. There's something systemically wrong. We, th we think, I'll finish on this, Phil. We have, a, we have this constitution of, of good fellows doing the right thing. Mm. Uh-uh, I'm sorry. 
These are fellows lining their own, feathering their own nest with their mates. And this is, this is, it's made manifest in the corruption, the lies, the deceit that's at the heart of uh, the post office scandal. Live in the eye. Story number two this week. It's, uh, it's a subject close to my heart because the headlines from the Daily Telegraph and it leads with an image of my man, John Blank. John Blank, the black trumpeters of the court of Henry VII, Henry VIII. That's the headline. But it then goes on to talk about junk history. And like all, all these headlines, you've got to dunk, go a little bit deeper. And the junk history they're referring to is this uh, deep breath. But there are many people who believed, who would argue that Beethoven was black, Shakespeare was black, that many notable figures in British history were black. And again, a deep breath on my part. These people are often misguided in their attention. They want to believe this narrative that there's been a black presence that goes longer and deeper in British history than, than they're being told. I would argue there is a black presence in British history, clearly, and it goes back a long way. Is it as deep as one of these people want to indicate? I don't know. I, well, I, I don't believe that's the case. But Louis Theroux in his program, he brings them up, and this Daily Telegraph correspondent uses an opportunity to say, these people are teaching a junk history. And they are. They are. And, and she just said in an article that John Blank existed, but then she has the reservation, well, is he that important? We can discuss the importance in one moment. Let's come back to this, this question of, of black people claiming all these people were black in history. It just opens the gate for other people other people, and predominantly white people, to come and say, yes, you're right, this is a nonsense history. They're trying to, they, black people, are trying to take over British or white history. And you look at this, for that article had 157 comments, 157 comments. 150 plus of them were in agreement with that. That these people are teaching a, a narrative which is corrupting. Well, I mean, these are telegraph. These are telegraph readers, aren't, aren't they, Michael? So perhaps it's not perhaps it's not too surprising that they would kind of endorse the point of view it, it expressed. I mean, I, I I suppose it's it's all it, it, it's all about um, how far you want to push things. I mean, if, if um, ideologically you're very committed to the idea that history is um, unrepresentative that history um typically has been white history and you feel very motivated about that um there can be a temptation perhaps to to look uh, you know to, to look for things that aren't there and to 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 try to find evidence that will um tilt the the scales in the opposite direction and say well look actually uh the the, the black presence was was bigger than it really was i mean you you've done a really good job through the john blank project of highlighting uh the first uh the the the, the first black person for whom there is an image um um on a scroll uh, and he was a, a trumpeter in in the court of henry the eighth the significance of john blank really i guess michael is to say he was there he was recognised. Henry VIII gave him a pay rise when he asked for one. Um, that's significant in itself. You don't need to kind of exaggerate, do you? You don't need to 
make it out to be something that it wasn't, it's it's significant in its own right. You're, you're right, Phil. What, what, what this woman does, she's taken a few loony people supported by Thoreau, the, the, what's his name, Louis Thoreau, and he, he thrives on meeting lunatics, and they are lunatics. They are fringe people with his weird weekends. When, he's, when, when he meets these oddball people with their odd ideas, and since she, she quickly moves that to the mainstream and said, that's what we're teaching. That's what we're, what she says. Children are being trapped. We have, p- children are being taught nonsense, masquerades and fact as part of a push for a more inclusive schooling. That is complete nonsense. Mm-hmm. She has not been in a school. She has not been in a school to see what they're teaching. They're te- yes, they're teaching a much more inclusive history, but it's balanced. They're giving giving kids the the critical thinking tools to look at history objectively, and and I would hope challenge the idea that Mozart was black. Get real, get real. It's not it's, Mozart was not black, but there were black people in Mozart's time. There were black musicians, black uh, violinists, composers, Chevalier Saint George. The black was there was there couldn't. But it's not it's not a kind of a a war. This we got a response every every significant white person has to be a significant black person. No, it's not like that. And she's saying it is, and we're teaching what she calls a junk history. And I find that deeply, deeply depressing because it's based on ignorance. Because we don't teach history like that. We teach it as more, okay, I'm going to use the I word. It's inclusive. Yes, black people are there, but this is what they did. We don't say when we were we were, we were were kings and queens in England, or some may argue as queens, that's another story. It's about about proportionality. These people go to the extremes, and they, they, we have the nonsense. I've got to quote one of the comments that I love. This was a man. I'm going to try and find him. Give me a second. He says, I, "He's been in England in in the in the fifties and in the, in the fifties and sixties. Oh, let me try and find it. Oh, can I find it? Oh, I'm taking too long. He was saying he'd come to London in the fifties, wasn't in he? In the 50s, 60s. And, 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 yes, and, and, yes, and he, he, he didn't see any, didn't see any black people apart. No, from no, no, no. He'd seen it, some people. He'd seen some black people on the buses, but there were yeah. not many of them. And there was a few people in a few Asians in South Hall. And that was his view or her view. I know it was a man or woman. That was their view of the world. And it was complete yeah. nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a complete misrepresentation of what, what was actually true back at the time, because there was a good proportion of Londoners uh, back in the 1950s who um, who came from um, different heritages. So there's no no question about that, and it's only grown ever it's only grown ever since. Uh, London's an incredibly diverse city, and it was uh, becoming. We saw the beginnings of that back in the 50s and 60s. People kind of believe what they want to believe, don't they? They they get their own little snapshot. They go to their own you know, Lon- London. How can you make a judgment about what London was like in the 1950s by making a couple of trips there? Exactly. <laughs> where, do, where did this person? Where did this person go? London's a big place. No, no, the, the, the technical word is ethnocentric. They see the world from their own point of view. And again, coming back to my John Blank, what the guy says here. John Blank is not interesting or significant at all. Now that's his view, or, or her view. Monica Con, I'm reading here now. You know, it's not not interesting to who to you, okay? And significant, it's not significant or interesting to you because you he's not on your radar. These are comparative things. Welcome to history. The history is you know you try and look from your point of view, and that's your view. Fine, we respect it, but there's other ways into it, and that's why I find deeply sad or troubling about this article it's kind of 
so one-sided. Yes, this is a, this is a white country. And it's a, they're the dominant um, ethnicity. No, no, no question. But you could, there were others around. They played a part. What? How? How do we interpret that part? What do we know about it? Let's try and understand a little bit about it to bring people in. These people are about exclusion. You know, no, they weren't. They weren't there. There was not. No, they're not relevant. They're not significant, and they have no interest. Which is, you know, which when you look at London now, forty-four percent of London. Our uh, ethnic minorities are, are, are not, are not they say, white people. They're from elsewhere. So England has changed. Some may argue not for the better, but it has changed. So let's try and work with it, you know, r- rather than dismissing it and saying it's of no interest, of no significance, and we're teaching a junk history. You know, I, I, I've got to say this, Bill. You know, and I, I, this is, I, think, I don't know who said it first, but Lamy quoted it. I am here because you were there. Britain was all over the planet. We had an empire. Yeah. So you've got to see it in your own capital. Get real. Get real. It is what it is. Well, despite the uh, despite the rather ignorant comments, you this was a good p- bit of publicity, Michael, for your John Blank project, which you <laughs> you've spent many years well, well, many I'm years not, cultivating. I felt. I've got to say, she doesn't actually mention my project. There's no reference to it. Just John Blank, which is a star. It's a big because it's it's a great image. Black the, the black to the trumpet. So yes, you're okay. I should thank you for that, Phil. I should thank you for that. Live in the eye. Our third story this week is about the supermarket Morrison's. And they've introduced a new form of CCTV into some stores to act as a deterrent against crime. Uh, but um it's a rather unusual deterrent because it's called the safer pod S1S robot, uh produced by a company called Safer Group. And these are freestanding devices which have hd uh, security cameras um, and sirens that go off if they see someone trying to nick something from the store and apparently these sirens are like 120 decibels um which you would probably uh, get the shock of your life if you were browsing for your frozen peas um whilst you were in morrison's all a little bit um dystopian michael don't you think that the idea of the robot policeman monitoring us as we move around the uh, move around the supermarket didn't seem to get a very good reaction online i can understand the problem because because shoplifting is a problem and people are coming more brazen more arrogant walking and taking stuff out i don't i understand it completely and when you couple with that the police are, are stressed anyway so they don't often come a lot of them there to help the um the shopkeepers but I'm sadly, sadly, feel this is no answer. The answer is more staff. More staff, and they're going the other way. They're saving, we're automating the staff now. We're automating the staff. We're looking at the automatic checkout. So everything is automated. You don't need anybody there. And I'm sorry, this dehumanizing the shopping experience. Uh, and let me give you a trivial example. So I, I, I wanted some glass for um, a frame. Put your frame. I went to a glass man, one of the few glass men left in South London here. He cut the glass for me. We talked about the frame, the picture. We had a good old chat. He'd been there for 30 years. It was a holy pot of experience. This was this was shopkeeping at its best. Mm. It's a personal attentive service. What do we get now? We get a robot sitting there and an unexplained habit. What was it? Unexpected item in, in the, the baggage, baggage area. area. Come on, man. This they've lost, they've lost the plot. And I, for one, I'm 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 gonna make name names. I'm not going back to Morrison. Not I'm going there to steal whatever it is they want to protect, 
But I don't want it to be um, persevered, <laughs> surveilled, surveilled like that. It's outrageous. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to ask the question. Also, you know, the, the, how how the robot makes the calculation that someone's stealing something. I mean, it's got a highly open, probably to uh, to to debate, isn't it? And yet, it's going to set off some kind of klaxon, which is going to alert everyone in the shop to you before no, no, you, before it's even been proven that you've taken. Proven, it. I don't. I don't even. I don't want to get involved with these people. So you don't trust me? Well, I don't trust you. It's it's a two way thing, and it comes back to this idea: technology is the answer. Look at look at the um the post office scandal on the horizon. That was technology. It, you know, the, we've got to believe the technology. It's it's robust and reliable. Rubbish, rubbish. These things can get it wrong. You know, now I've, I see. I'm in um um Sainsbury's. I'm checking out. You know, yours money checker, and the, you can see yourself on camera. You can see the image that they're taking you while you're shopping. And I find that really intimidating. Okay, well, it is what it is. But, you know, come on, man. What I'm to personal service. You know, you're my customer. You know, you get that idea. You know, have you, have you ever tried in those Amazon shops? No, where, where you can just walk out the door and... Uh... I tried them. And to be honest with you, Phil, I was happy with that. Mm. The fact that, because I knew from the very start, you're being watched. The cameras were there discreetly. Everything you picked up was monitored and checked, blah, blah. It was much done so discreetly, and you walked in and out. I would buy that. That's the proposition from day one. But these people, these you know, the Morris, they, they want a foot in both camps. They want a, a, the idea of we're a caring, sharing company looking after you. At the same time, we've got these robots monitoring your every. No, no, you, you've got to get it right the human touch or the robot touch. And I think they've got it, you know, this Robocop is just. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Live in the eye. Our, our fourth story, I was going to say our third story, just to annoy you there, Phil, because I know you like, you know, you like me getting it wrong. Our third story this week, our fourth story, our, our fourth story th- this week is about an iPhone, an iPhone that's felt 16,000 feet and was still working. This was uh, this was the um, the Boeing Alaskan the Alaskan Airlines issue where the the, air, the the window fell out and the phone was dragged out and fell to the floor. And the reason they knew it was from the uh, the people who collected it, they knew it was from the, the Alaska flight because it had the <laughs> the flight details of a baggage claim of the baggage claim. These people have got. They, I've noticed they put the they put the phone in air, airplane mode. Respect to them for doing that. And they, they were ready to check their bag out or check their bag out at, at the um at the baggage collection area. It was there. It was collected. And what impressed me, Phil, was not the survivor of the phone, but the number of people wanted to know what was the package? What was the protection package that they used? Can you give me the name? Because I want that. Yeah. So they yeah. can fall 16,000 feet. I mean, it's a great, it, 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 you know, it, it's, it's a, it'd be a great ad, wouldn't it, for, well, I suppose, maybe for Apple, but also for, for whatever company made, made whatever protective gear was around the phone. Exactly, um, yeah. It does, it, does, it does seem extraordinary it could survive that kind of fall. And, uh, the, whole, the whole business of that um, Boeing um, losing that bit of the fuselage, they seem to have discovered loose um bolts um in, in a number of these planes now my my advice would be do the bolts up you know really i re- really would be because if you're going on a plane michael you have to agree you wouldn't want a big gaping hole like that appearing all of a sudden would you do you know what though no, we, we've not done this in five now there's something story i've been following with a while in terms of modern manufacturing now you know you focus on your excellence and you farm everything else out 
Mm. So all the, the, those those windows were farmed to a sort of so I know someone that in Taiwan the wings could be made in or it could be made in another part of America. It, that that Boeing excellence is it, they, they they've kind of farmed out to other people, and sadly they've not come quite up to the to the to the standards. So Boeing uh, uh, using modern manufacturing techniques where you focus on your excellence. And, and get other people to make the bits that you can't make, but make to your standard. But inevitably, your standard is not their standard, mm. and things go wrong. You know, you know, it's all about speed, time to market, and you, you've lost that sense of manufacturing pride, and uh, which is which is an, an ethereal, magical thing. When, when when you make something, when a company makes something, it's the whole company. But here they're buying stuff in, and that it's it's on the one hand it's a management exercise. We just uh, we order ten of these windows from Taiwan to this specification, and they come in and we put them on. And I'm not saying they are made in Taiwan. No disrespect to Taiwan, but they're made to Boeing specification, and they're put on. So everything says everything says it's done to order, and it comes back to that horizon thing. I was working to the specification. It's a robust manufacturing plant. It should have worked. And it clearly didn't or doesn't. So you got to look at the way we do things. What would you, and, and, and there's a theme running here, Phil, while we're talking about it. We're losing the human touch. Hmm. Humans involved or believing yeah. humans. We're relying on machines and technology to have the answer. And clearly, it doesn't. It really doesn't. We need humans. And we know humans are flawed, but at least humans have some empathy with other humans rather than saying thief, thief. Or that's not working. Or yes, of course it works. The road, the machine said so. So look, Phil, I, you know, I see the I see the all of a piece here. We've got to get, we've got to bring humans back in, connect with human beings, live in the eye. Well, if human beings can't do everything, they could call Michael on the services of rodents. Because story number five this week is about a rather special mouse in Wales. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen this, <laughs> uh, check it out on the web. The video, it kind of has to be seen to be believed. I think Michael Michael didn't believe me when I first told him I about didn't. this. I, 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 I saw the mouse actually picking the stuff up and putting it in the box. Yeah, so what like, he said, he, he's been called Welsh Tidy Mouse because Rodney Holbrook, who lives in Wales, he, he's got... Um, <clears throat> a little shed where he keeps uh, things like clothes, pegs and corks and nuts and bolts and that kind of stuff. But he, he's not the tidiest of blokes. So he, at the uh, of an evening, he, he kind of um, leaves things lying around on the surface, comes back in in the morning. <laughs> They've all been neatly tidied up uh, and they're put in the box. And uh, he decided to investigate what was going on because it'd been happening over a period of a couple of months. He puts the old uh, CCTV camera in place uh, maybe he had a Robocop from Morrison's. He put put that in place. Um, and we've got video footage of this little mouse picking all the stuff up and putting it neatly away in a box. He's almost like, I, I see him as a kind of fairy tale mouse, uh, Michael, because in fairy tales, uh, I remember Beatrix Potter, the children's writer, she had a story about a, um, a, a tailor who was too tired to finish the coat that he was making. So the mice came along in the night and they... They finished the uh, the coat for him. Um, do, do, do you think that maybe the mouse has stepped out of a fairy tale book and 
Is it is particularly special, or do you think this is something that any old mouse could maybe do? No, I don't. <laughs> it's not fair. It's reality when you see it. Cause I, I, you're right, Phil. I didn't believe it, but the video is clear. It's picking, and these 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 are random objects: a pencil, a cork, <laughs> a, a cork, a, a bit of plastic, and it's putting them purposely in the box. Now I tried to do some research. You know, I researched these stories, Phil. You mm. know that, don't you? And Nobody really understands why the mouse does this thing because he's not alone. The other mice or mices, mice, what's the mouse, mice, have been found to be doing this. Well, one of the stories was the, the, there's some nuts and they're covering up the nuts so the other mice can't see them. It's quite, it's, it's, it really is, it's extraordinary because it's about picking this stuff up purposely, putting them back in there. So no, I, I was, I'm not going to use the word, the, the I word, impressed. But I was just, it was, what on earth is going on here? I'd like to have a chat with that mouse. You know, what are you trying to achieve here? Because it just, it's, it's, it's not clear. Well, we, we could certainly do with him at Woodford Towers. I mean, uh, our cat brings in the odd mouse, and I usually spend my time chasing around trying to get the mouse out out, out of the house. But but if I had one of these tidy tidy mice, I could really make use of them, Michael, because I'm not the tidiest of people. No, no, I'm, I'm with you there, Phil. You kind of put stuff away because you live in a world where we've got too much stuff now. Anyway, I'm, and I'm guilty of that. I look, I'm looking at my table now, and there's, I'm not going to show you, but there's stuff everywhere. If I'd have this little mouse to kind of put things, put things away neatly, a robot mouse, a robot mouse. I don't want a live mouse. I don't, I don't fancy that. A robot mouse. You know, I'd be, I'd be happy with that. But no, I'm sorry, Phil. It was. No, I take it back, Phil. A real story for a change. Well, that's it for Prime Number Episode 0443, our first of 2024. We're busy tidying up now with uh, some help from rodent friends, and we'll be back in a week's time. So look, if you want to get in touch with us, please do visit our Facebook page. But for now, this is me, Michael Hutcher, saying, look after yourself, and if you can, somebody else. And this is Phil Woodford reminding you to keep an eye on the news, as you never know what we'll be discussing on next week's Five in the Eye. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?